When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Republicans cannot both be loyal to Donald Trump and loyal to the Constitution. The attempt was to take away your vote, no matter who you voted for. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. This trip will reinforce a vital American role in a strategically consequential region. The diversity of this community, as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Donald Trump unhinged. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As the January 6th committee attempts to connect the dots between the White House, the conspiracy theorists, and the militia groups who attacked the Capitol. We will walk you through another hearing in which we learn of an unhinged, as described, Oval Office meeting in advance of the riot. We'll discuss the legal path next with Don Eyre, Deputy Attorney General in the George H.W. Bush administration. Later, President Biden takes off tonight for the Middle East. High hopes for diplomacy and oil. We'll be joined by Jonathan Panikoff from the Atlantic Council to talk about it. And our signature panel is in place to help us unpack it all. Analysis today from Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. So where were you on the night of December 18th, 2020? If you were in the West Wing, you heard some wild stuff, as told today by the January 6th committee, its seventh hearing, and the argument over how to pursue fraud conspiracy claims exploded as I read by Mike Dorning and Billy House on the terminal, into an unhinged meeting in the Oval Office. This sounds like a movie trailer. Congressman Jamie Raskin, Democrat on the committee, says, Sidney Powell, picture this, Sidney Powell, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, and the former CEO of Overstock? Overstock Overstock.com? That's the power trio there to push ideas on challenging the results. Here's Jamie Raskin. They were able to speak with the president by himself for some time until White House officials learned of the meeting. What ensued was a heated and profane clash between this group and President Trump's White House advisors who traded personal insults, 
accusations of disloyalty to the president, and even challenges to physically fight. Must have been something. White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson, who testified in the prior hearing, said this was no normal Oval Office meeting. So that was the first point that I had recognized. Okay, there was nobody in there from the White House. Mark's gone. What's going on right now? Nobody from the White House. We heard from one of the administration officials who actually entered the room. Listen to White House counsel Pat Cipollone from his recent testimony. This is from when he just sat down last Friday. We hear from him today. I saw General Flynn. I saw Sidney Powell sitting there. I was not happy to see the people in the Oval Office. Explain why. Well, again, I, I don't think they were providing. Well, first of all, the overstock person, I, I've never met him who this guy was. Actually, the first thing I did, I walked in, I looked at him, and I said, who are you? <laughs> the Overstock CEO, his name is Patrick Byrne, former CEO. And by the way, Big Trump Guy will now reportedly meet on Friday with the committee to discuss his involvement that day, possibly why they delayed the prime time hearing that was set for Thursday. That meeting took place December 18. As I mentioned, it was only hours later Donald Trump sent the now infamous tweet inviting his supporters to Washington January 6th, saying it would be wild. Uh, now, the committee presented more testimony. We heard from a Twitter official described an uptick in violent postings and threats after that. Uh, while the pro-Trump site, the Donald Wynn, posted pictures of tunnels under the Capitol, they encouraged people to, to show up with handcuffs. Stand outside the tunnels. The leaders of the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers started making big plans. But did the committee connect the dots, as we heard would happen in advance of the hearing, from Trump to those groups? How close did they get? We take the legal view with Don Eyre, who served as Deputy Attorney General in the George H.W. Bush administration, former Principal Deputy Solicitor General of the United States, and now a professor at Georgetown Law School Deputy Attorney General, it's great to have you with us here. Do you have a sense of that? Did they connect the dots to get close enough to Donald Trump to make a difference today in the narrative? Well, I think you have to ask the question of, of connect which dots. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's important to remember that what we're most basically dealing with here and the potential charges that people are, I think, most immediately focusing on are, are the ones about trying to steal the election. And I think those dots are totally connected at this point. I think what we have and what we had today was more specifics and more detail showing how obsessed Donald Trump was with achieving the goal of overturning the legitimate election. And there's lots of colorful episodes here. And the ones you recounted in your in your lead up to this are, are really excellent and colorful and wild and crazy but they're part of a bigger picture, and the bigger picture includes other stuff going on at the same time that we've already heard about. We've heard about him making multiple phone calls to state officials to get them to change the vote count. Yep. We've heard of him having meetings and phone calls, daily phone calls with Jeffrey Rosen at the Justice Department, right. getting him to proclaim falsely that fraud had been perpetrated. His efforts to influence Pence, all the things that you've heard all the evidence about and here today – we have this stuff about the lead into the rally. So proving the case that he worked hard personally really was the driving force mm -hmm. in overturning the election. I think that case is made. Um, is it worth trying to, to prove? 
that a Roger Stone or a Rudy Giuliani was, you know, had the Proud Boys on the phone, that 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 violent escalation was, in fact, planned in Trump's orbit? Or is that is that not uh, a good time spent legally as they try to build this case? Well, I think it depends on what all the evidence ultimately shows. And I, I, you know, I, I, I agree that we don't yet have, from what we've heard, ironclad direct evidence between Donald, Donald Trump and these people per- perpetrated the fraud. But the big picture here and the one that really matters to me and I think most people is that we have got to get accountability when the president tries to overturn an election and steal it and stay in office when he lost. That's what the issue is. That case, I think, is in the can. I think that case is ready to be made. And whether this other case about perpetrating all the violence is one that you ultimately bring against Donald Trump, I think time will tell. And I think we have to see what all the Justice Department has when all the evidence is in. Um, I think you're going to have to know a little more than we know now. Yeah. I want to ask you about witness tampering. Uh, we heard from Liz Cheney at the, the the very end of the hearing. Some people may have tuned out by now. Just some closing remarks. And she took direct aim at Donald Trump. Now, we've heard that some of the witnesses, including Cassidy Hutchinson, have received texts or calls uh, that sound like something out of a mob movie. Hey, you hate for something to happen to you if you know you say that we know you're going to do the right thing. This is interesting, though. A letter from the former president. Let's listen to Liz Cheney and, and we'll get your thoughts on this. Here she is. After our last hearing, President Trump tried to call a witness in our investigation, a witness you have not yet seen in these hearings. That person declined to answer or respond to President Trump's call and instead alerted their lawyer to the call. Their lawyer alerted us. And this committee has supplied that information to the Department of Justice. Don Hare, how severe is that charge compared to the others that we're talking about here? And and what is the Department of Justice up to right now? Well, I think I I think the idea that a a target of an investigation is interfering with witnesses and it is an incredibly uh, serious possibility. And I I wouldn't describe what she said as a charge because I think it was a you know, it was an anecdote of something Mm -hmm. that was reported. But I think it's a it's a very positive sign that. When these things are happening, they're being made public, and there's got, not going to be any place to hide, I think, for Donald Trump or for anyone else who does this. Um, I think what the Justice Department is up to now is the job that they should be doing, and that is quietly developing the evidence in this case. They've had mm-hmm. real help, no question, from the select committee and the work that they've done. But I think they're doing their job. The last thing they should be doing and the last thing that I think uh, Merrick Garland um, would want to be doing is talking publicly about where the investigation stands or thumping his chest about how he's going to get Donald Trump. That's totally (laughs) inappropriate. What do you want to see in this final hearing? We had a primetime hearing set for Thursday. They postponed it. They're obviously cooking up something here. They're going to interview the former Overstock CEO, maybe Steve Bannon uh, is involved. How do you how do you close this? You know, I, I'm going to be interested to see because I, I don't think there's a clinker in the deck of the seven hearings they've had so far. So I have I have a lot of respect for the people that are putting on the, the presentation here. I don't know. I think we're going to hear 
more about uh, at least part of it. I've, I've been I've heard say today was we're going to hear more about um, Donald Trump's day on 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 January 6th. Um, and and what else they'll put on, I think, is a function of what more evidence they've got. I guess the, the thing I would just stress as the overarching point is there's so many facts here. There's so many specifics and so many, you know, really bad things that Donald Trump personally has done that it's hard to keep them all in mind and see them in the context of each right. other. And that's really what we have to do because it's a big picture. He was the man running the train on all of these different aspects of this yeah. conspiracy. That's the amazing realization from this hearing. Don Ayer, thank you so much for the time to get us rolling here on Bloomberg Sound. Don, we would love to stay in touch with you as these hearings roll. We've got one more. It's going to be prime time, and we'll let you know once it's scheduled. And we'll assemble our panel next for a lot more on this with breaking news again on the terminal here. And it has to do with Twitter, with the Twitter general counsel now discussing a lawsuit in a memo against Elon Musk, telling staff that it asked for an expedited trial and asking a judge in Delaware for the case to be heard in September. Charlie Pellet will have more on that coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to keep the beat on the January 6th hearing, though, and what we learned today, what will matter to the DOJ with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with a proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. The January 6th committee refers a story of witness tampering, at least a suggestion by Congresswoman Liz Cheney from Donald Trump himself recently attempted to contact, she says, an unnamed witness in the committee's investigation of the riot. Didn't get back to Donald Trump, sent it to the committee who referred it to the DOJ. President's One of the things doc. that we learned today in the hearing. Did we have something on that? If I missed that, forgive me. One of the live witnesses today, though, was a man named Jason Van Tatenhoff, described as the former spokesman for the Oath Keepers, right? This was the hearing that was going to connect the dots to the militias. By the way, former spokesman for the... How does that work? Do the Oath Keepers run an ad for a spokesman? He was getting paid. He talked about how... You know, his life, uh, he had to give up his job and lost his 
income. Anyway, he shows up uh, in the congressional hearing with a face tattoo, wearing a denim jacket, and had some pretty scary stuff to say as he tried to make the point that this was real, uh, what you saw there on January 6th, uh, that this group, the Oath Keepers, a dangerous militia, as he described it, that attracted white nationalists and, quote, straight-up racists, unquote. He said they were there to participate in a riot. Listen to Jason Van Tatenhoek. There was a gallows set up in front of the Capitol. This could have been the spark that started a new civil war, and no one would have won there. That would have been good for no one. As we assemble our panel today, Forgive the delay, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. We thank you for being with us as always here. Jeannie, what did we learn that was new that moved you? Was it witness tampering or was it in fact the conversion as Jamie Raskin has called it, trying to get these groups to show up and cause trouble? Well, you know, the the clip you were just talking about, I thought one of the most chilling aspects of the day, and I have I have a list of them, Joe, but I won't go through all of them, but one of the most chilling was both Jason Van um, Tattenhoff, is that how you say his name? Yes, and, and Tatenhoff, Tatenhoff right. and, mm-hmm. and Stephen Ayers, who testified live today, they both of their own accord warned about what can happen in the next election. And I thought that was incredibly chilling. They said, and essentially, this is not over. There is a reason that we are here and that we need to address this publicly because this thing is not over. I thought that was chilling. I thought Liz Cheney's bombshell at the beginning or at the end, sorry, about witness tampering. Mm -hmm. And also at the beginning when she told, I think, the Department of Justice, but anybody who would listen, that Trump is a 76-year-old man. He's not an impressionable child and he is responsible for his actions. Those were the three things that really caught my attention. What did the DOJ care about that they heard today, Rick? You know, I think they heard that uh, uh, about intent, Uh, just as Jeannie was saying, uh, Stephen Ayers made it very clear that their intent, they hung on every word of Donald Trump, and he was telling them uh, to go wreck violence on January 6th, Uh, whether it was in the original call to, you know, his supporters at 1.42 a.m. Who tweets at 1.42 a.m. after this wild White House meeting? I mean, (laughs) And, uh, and, and, and all the way through the process to the point where they stormed the Capitol, they were acting on his orders. At least but are they, we talking about guys believe. reading Twitter or guys who are getting phone calls from people in Trump's orbit? Well, I think, I think it's all of the above because what we're finding out is that uh, once Trump sort of announced the event, it set into motion all his lieutenants and all his operatives in the states, even some of the campaign, actually re- you know, recruiting and, and turning people out. To the degree that that Oath Keepers actually, you know, held organizing conference calls and Zooms in advance of the event, telling people to bring, you know, uh, violent equipment with them. So uh, he, he, he owes a responsibility to the American public for having put those things into motion and and all along the way, including on the steps of the Capitol, inciting them to violence. And so I think the Justice Department's looking at that and going, hmm, it's, you know, exactly what uh, Don Ayer was saying, um, you know, uh, Gee, was there there probable cause in him trying to uh, overturn the election? Sure, uh, and uh, and 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 this is just one of the chapters in that book. Don Air told us, Jeannie, that they've they've made the case uh, for trying to overturn the election. That the tampering uh, with election results is, is as good as done. Uh, with that said, what do we need to hear or see in the final hearing that wraps this up in an effective way? And should they refer this to the DOJ? 
Yeah, yes. And, and, you know, I think what we're going to hear is what the uh, chairman described as a supreme dereliction of duty and what exactly what Donald Trump was doing on January 6th. And I was very happy to hear a lawyer in Donair talk about the fact that they have established a legal uh, culpability, at least enough to refer it to the DOJ. The question here, since I'm not a lawyer, is what has to happen next? And that is that Merrick Garland's got to be as convinced as Liz Cheney is about mm-hmm. the historical fact that if they if Donald Trump and the people accountable for this are not held accountable, what history teaches us is it will repeat itself. And I go back to what mm-hmm. those the, 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 the witnesses were saying today. You know, you look at somebody like like Timothy Snyder's on tyranny. This happens again if yeah. it's not addressed. And that's, I think, the big message out of today. Well, there you go. Number seven from the January 6th committee. Rick and Jeannie are with us on the Tuesday edition of Bloomberg Sound on the fastest hour in politics. President Biden gets on Air Force One hours from now on his way to the Middle East. We'll talk about it next with high hopes here in Washington and at the gas station. This is Bloomberg. The president's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, briefed reporters ahead of Joe Biden's trip to the Middle East. He takes off tonight uh, on the way to Israel and then Saudi Arabia. But he started with news on Iran, not Directly tied to the president's trip, but certainly informing it and maybe providing the backdrop for it, as Sullivan has news that the Iranian government is providing Russia, I'll let him say it, with hundreds of drones for use in Ukraine. Here's Jake Sullivan. The Iranian government is preparing to provide Russia with up to several hundred UAVs, including weapons-capable UAVs, on an expedited timeline. Our information further indicates that Iran is preparing to train Russian forces to use these UAVs with initial training sessions slated to begin as soon as early July. It's unclear whether Iran has delivered any of these UAVs to Russia already. Early July, so here we are, so now. With more questions about the purpose of this trip, is it just to get more oil? Because we keep hearing Saudi Arabia, the UAE, the only two nations that have spare capacity, 3 million barrels a day combined. Let's say he gets all of that oil and brings it home to the United States with 95% refining capacity already spoken for. Does it actually make a difference? Maybe not, according to some people. But as we heard or read in the president's op-ed over the weekend, at least the White House says there are much bigger plans with an eye on the Abraham Accords and potentially normalizing relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia at an awfully precarious time in our history. That's where we begin with Jonathan Panikoff, director of the Atlantic Council's Brent Scowcroft Middle East Security Initiative, former deputy national intelligence officer for the Near East. Jonathan, how ambitious is Joe Biden feeling as he gets on Air Force One? Well, good afternoon to you, and thanks so much for having me. I think he's not feeling that ambitious, to be honest. I think there are places that he knows that he can advance, uh, both Israeli, Saudi, and others' um, engagement. Um, I think more than anything, this trip is really about resetting relations with Saudi Arabia and with some of his other Gulf allies, including the United Arab Emirates. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the oil itself, as you said, uh, 3 million barrels, I've heard the number might be as little as 2 million barrels. The spare capacity just isn't really there. And the odds that it's going to have a meaningful effect 
I think on oil prices are, is pretty minimal. I think what he's really hoping more than anything is that if he can stabilize the relationship now, that he can move it beyond just the traditional energy and defense sectors yeah. and really expand it to economic issues, to climate issues, um, to other alternative energies, and as well, of course, as security. What is he's going to the West Bank as well? What does this mean? For the potential, you know, two-state solution as he becomes the first president to fly from Israel to Jeddah on Friday. Yeah, so I, I don't think that the Saudis and the Israelis are ready to normalize yet. My sense is that as long as King Solomon is on the throne, it would be unlikely that Saudi Arabia would normalize relations with Israel formally unless there was a two-state solution. Mm -hmm. um, if MBS seizes the throne, then obviously that might change the conversation. He seems to have a slightly more uh, progressive take on whether or not normalization um, requires a two-state solution. Mm -hmm. I think for the West Bank, to be honest, and, and for the Palestinians, what it really is is a chance to get back in the game a little bit. Obviously, they cut diplomatic relations after the Trump administration moved the embassy yeah. to Jerusalem. So another um, reset. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And so I think this is an opportunity to try to hopefully reset things a little bit. I don't know, Jonathan, I've been hearing a lot of big talk. I mean, expectations get awfully high, especially when people start tying it to very specific things like gas prices. The president's being beat up uh, by Republicans for going so-called hat in hand uh, to MBS to beg for oil. He's getting beat up by progressives uh, for, uh, well, you know, not considering, I guess, to the extent that they think he should the human rights record, the Khashoggi murder, which he says he will bring up here. Are expectations perilously high as he set up for failure? Because it doesn't sound like you see many deliverables. Well, I think that there's a few, but I certainly agree that if the expectation and the public sentiment seems to be that this will bring down oil prices, then there's going to be disappointment. I, I think that there are places that can be advanced. So, for instance, in addition to um, the bilateral exchange with the Israelis, there'll be an I2U2 virtual conference, I2 being Israel and India, U2 being the United States and the United Arab Emirates, which creates a, a bit of a new coalition that we haven't seen before that really could have a long-term impact when we think about Israeli technology, Emirati uh, capital, mm -hmm. and the industrial base that the Indians have. So I think that's a possibility. I also think on the security side, look, the move of Israel into the CENTCOM area of responsibility from the UCOM one is not uh -huh. a small move. It brings the Israelis into the same room as the Saudis, as the Qataris, even though they don't have formal diplomatic relations. Wow, I think important. this is about making marginal progress by, you know, a huge deliverable. I mentioned at the outset this uh, news of Iran supplying drones to Russia. Uh, that's going to be in the air and part of the conversation, I presume, as as lines are being drawn, Jonathan, this Iranian Russian axis is becoming a bigger worry for Saudi Arabia. It is. I think it shows the shifting alliances and, frankly, transactional nature of most Middle East states, and that includes Iran. I think at this point, it's obviously going to overhang a number of different conversations, both in Israel and the president's conversations with the so-called GCC plus three mm -hmm. uh, in Jeddah at the end of the week. My sense is there will be a recommitment to Israeli defense and Israeli security. I think you'll also see the same commitment to the Arab states, 
what that actually means purposefully, I don't quite know. I, I think there's some discussion about an integrated air and maybe maritime defense system. Yeah, that okay. certainly would be a great starting place, but it'll take some time to develop. Jonathan, thank you for the insights. Jonathan Panikoff, the Atlantic Council with us on Bloomberg Sound On. What does it mean for the Iran nuclear deal? And is the president set up for failure by his own expectations? We'll reassemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie here on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden dragging some heavy baggage with him across the Atlantic on the trip to Israel and Saudi Arabia. They take off tonight, but are expectations too high to succeed? Let's reassemble the panel with a lot still to cover on the fastest hour in politics. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here, Bloomberg politics contributors. What's your take on this, Rick? We talked a bit yesterday about the broader diplomatic goals versus simply securing more oil. Uh, but based on our conversation that we just had, it's interesting to consider uh, a president who could come back with another story of incremental progress, like a lot of things domestically. Yeah, that's right. And um, and I think that Vladimir Putin did him a little favor by, you know, arranging the week after Biden's in the region to go to Tehran mm-hmm. for meetings there uh, with um, uh, the, the the mullahs. Uh, who How run, does it help? Uh, Iran. I think it points out that it's a competition, right? If the U.S. pulls out of the Middle East, China and Russia move in and that's mm-hmm. a big spot to fill. And so I think that uh, Biden making it more of a priority than he thought it was going to have to be in his administration. Last thing he wanted to do was focus on the Middle East. Um, uh, but he realizes now, I think, that 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 the U.S. cannot abdicate its role uh, in both security, defense and economics. Uh, and economics is code for oil in the region. And so he's going to have to devote his time and attention to it. And I think he's got a good good trip plan for that. And uh and, 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 and the reminder is, if we're not there, you know, Vladimir Putin and Xi will move right in behind us. He's got a lot to deal with here in only two days, Jeannie. It seems like this has been built up, despite his attempts to tamper expectations in, into something more than it should be here. If we're just going over there to hit the reset button, uh, people are, are ready for, for lower gas prices on Monday. 
Yeah, it, and as Jonathan just said to you, it's not going to likely have a meaningful effect on, on oil prices. I, I don't suspect it's going to have a meaningful impact on the human rights record that America, those are the two big things Americans are concerned about. Right. And, you know, what I do think we are starting to see and what you hear from some of the foreign policy experts is that whereas, again, Joe Biden ran promising to change Donald Trump's Middle East policy, it's looking more and more like he is going to broaden and continue it. They're describing that now as a reset. Um, and we're hearing more and more about some effort to expand the Abraham Accords, mm-hmm. some kind of strategic defense cooperation pact. Those are not things, though, you're hearing about from the White House to the American public. And I think that is the concern that, you know, they're being told it's going to be about oil and maybe human rights and it's about something else. And I think that becomes a confusing message for people. Well, here, So here comes the next stop, and that's tomorrow. Uh, CPI data as the president is heading on this trip the next inflation numbers are going to come out here domestically and of course that's going to be somebody's job at the White House uh, to react to that the economic team here Rick we heard from Karine Jean-Pierre the press secretary yesterday trying to get ahead of what could be a painful report here she is we will have new CPI inflation data, and we expect uh, the headline number, which includes gas and food, to be highly elevated, mainly because gas prices were so elevated in June. Gas and food prices continue to be heavily impacted by the war in Ukraine. And there are a few important points uh, to keep in mind when we get this backwards-looking data. First. June CPI data is already out of date because energy prices have come down substantially this month and are expected to fall further. Rick Davis, isn't all economic data backward looking? Uh, Yeah, I don't understand that at all. So the people (laughs) who suffered high gas prices throughout the month of June should just ignore that because they got through it and they're still alive. I mean, like, what is that? That's insane. I mean, the CPI... If it goes up over 1%, it's going to be seen as a horrible situation, and everybody will be talking about the Fed coming back with another 75 basis point increase in interest rates, and and Biden's going to be out of town. And look, he doesn't talk about this stuff when he's here, so I guess he might as well leave town. Is it important to be getting ahead of it like this, Jeannie? They tried this last month as well. It's important to get ahead of it. But what you're hearing there is sort of like a Wizard of Oz. Don't look behind the curtain. It's nothing to see here. Keep moving forward. And, you know, that's not a message. So, yes, getting in front of it, helping explain it, that would be helpful. That wasn't the message that we were hearing. And, you know, we are seeing the president do what presidents do when domestic politics get tricky. They look overseas, meeting with the Mexican president today, you know, going overseas. Because what else can Joe Biden do when he's got the New York Times poll coming out saying his approval rating is like three in ten. Jill Biden apologized today. Uh, I suspect you guys saw this. I needed your take on it because the fact of the matter is if Donald Trump said it, we would be talking about it. And in this case, the the first lady is speaking in San Antonio, Texas, uh, at the Unidos U.S. annual conference, uh, an Hispanic conference, and started talking about, well, I guess the benefits of the community. Here's what she said. The diversity of this community as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. <laughs> the breakfast tacos. Hey, look, and you did hear some people laughed and clapped. Uh, there was outrage over this. Uh, 
the first lady accused of being insensitive to the point where uh, her press secretary, Michael Rosa, had to, in fact, issue an apology. The first lady apologizes that her words conveyed anything but pure admiration and love for the Latino community. Was it something to apologize for, Rick? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, you can't call people tacos. I mean, like that's sort of standard that 101 meant? politics. And well, you know, she was comparing diversity and, yeah. you know, it was just incredibly inartful. I mean, how that got through a White House speechwriter's editing oh, process right. is yeah. beyond my comprehension because you know, people were laughing. I mean, it's, you know, OK, but like I'm you always laugh, laugh at what a principal says. And, and so the reaction is predictable and you got to find ways of talking about uh, you know, diversity and, and, and people in a way that doesn't compare them to a food, uh, you know, uh, uh, sandwich. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's just another sort of the cycle is not good for the Bidens. Uh, they're, they're, every little thing they do and say on or off camera is getting heightened uh, yeah. attention. And it's up to the staff to make sure that they're not put in an awkward position. That is not Jill Biden's fault. That is her staff's fault for having that in the speech and not having done a better job of vetting it. Do you agree with this, Jeannie? Would you have gone after Donald Trump for saying the same thing? Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, I you know, it's not Donald Trump and it's not Jill Biden. It is she did not write this speech. And, you know, should she have read it? Should she have cut that out? You know? Yeah. yeah. But but, you know, yeah. But you know what? The the attempt was there. She apologized afterwards. It was inertful is the right description. You know, I, I never quote him, but Ted Cruz's communication advisor said this isn't Veep. Which White House speechwriter won the bet for getting her to say this? I mean, it's. It's, an, it's, it's, it's a meme story now. It is a meme story. You've got, you know, you've got Marco Rubio changing his Twitter profile to a taco. You know, so it, it, it has taken on that so, life. But, no. you know, in the case of Trump or Jill Biden, I, these, these, you know, they can't be responsible for everything. And they need teams around no. them that are working. And this communications team has had trouble is probably the nicest way to say it and this is one example and it's embarrassing to the first lady this is why we have rick and Jeannie to help us make sense of it as we try to now i'm going to end on a positive note okay from breakfast tacos you can only go up from here with the headline on the terminal space telescope captures new detail of distant galaxy cluster if you could have seen joe biden's face when he saw the image that you saw earlier today or last night on social media right this new image from the James Webb Space Telescope. Don't tell me government does nothing good. Bring us in the room. Mr. President, if you held a grain of sand on the tip of your finger at arm's length, that is the part of the universe that you're seeing, just one little speck of the universe. Today is a historic day. Six and a half months ago, a rocket launched from Earth, carrying the world's newest, most powerful deep space telescope on a journey one million miles into the cosmos. First of all, that blows my mind. A million miles into the cosmos. You know, 100 years ago, Mr. President, Madam Vice President, 100 years ago, we thought there was only one galaxy. Now, the number is unlimited. Light where stars were born and from where they die. Light from the oldest galaxies, the oldest documented light in the history of the universe from over 
13 billion, let me say that again, 13 billion years ago. Billion. It's hard to even fathom. More than four billion years ago, the distant galaxy cluster with great inspiration at the White House. They should have more events like that. You know, how about that for the new strategy? When things aren't going great, bring NASA in. They're doing incredible. This was incredible. Rick Davis, did you see the images? They blew my mind last my night mind. and this morning. Yeah, I want to be an astronaut now. <laughs> exactly. But this is the kind of thing, and I'm not kidding around here in our remaining seconds, Jeannie, that we never talk about. Just we trash through the politics. But this is also happening in Washington. It is. And it is. It's what the government does. And they need you to do the uh, music underneath these rollouts, Joe Matthew. It's amazing. It would help. help. (laughs) The best panel in the business, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, will meet you back here tomorrow for the fastest hour in politics. Man, we have a lot to talk about every day. And we'll meet you back here. Subscribe to the podcast if you showed up late. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.